Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Unheard, the channel that does its best to avoid herd mentality and stick up for independent thinking wherever we can find it. I'm Freddie Sayers. So we've had our run-ins with YouTube over the past couple of years and the increasing power of that platform to remove content instantly is something we're really quite worried about. Earlier today, Navara Media, a channel that's usually associated with the radical left, with Jeremy Corbyn, had its channel, its YouTube channel, inexplicably removed. In the past hour, it's actually been reinstated, but we wanted to find out more. And so here to tell us about it is Ash Sarkar, Navara's senior editor and perhaps their most recognizable public face. Hey, how are you doing? Good, so tell us a story. This was a, a weird two hours earlier today where the whole YouTube channel of Navara was taken down. Yeah, so what happened was our head of video, Gary, got an email from YouTube informing us that our channel had been deleted. And there wasn't a solid explanation that was given at all. So we were told that there was a breach of community standards pertaining to commercial deception, spam or scam. Now, I don't know what we could do which is commercially deceptive because we monetize our videos like any other news organization and we have super chats, which is when there's a live stream, you've got people making donations. Now, it's very clear that they're not paying for a service the same way you would if like an Avon lady comes around, right? It is a voluntary yeah. donation and we don't uh, spam people to uh, give a donation. We don't abuse GDPR we operate just like anybody else does. So there had been no prior warning. We certainly hadn't uh, been, YouTube has a, a policy which involves strikes. So if you've mm. breached community guidelines three times, then you're out. Mm. Uh, we were reported once for having done that. And that was when we had shown a clip of an anti-vaxxer in order to critique the clip. It's very obvious how that mistake was made. And then that strike was then removed from our account. So mm. we didn't have any outstanding strikes. So this was very weird for us. We could only appeal in the way that anyone else can, which is you reply to this anonymous email. You're not even sure if there's a human on the other side of it. And that's where we thought, well, the only means we have of writing this wrong or even getting some kind of explanation is by going public and drumming up support. And what was really great is that support came from all sides of the political spectrum, because I think it doesn't matter where you are on some of the big issues of the day. We can all agree that an unaccountable American tech company having this much control of whether a fully regulated British journalistic outfit is allowed to operate, that's an incredibly sinister thing. Hmm. Um, we ended up being reinstated after two hours, but still YouTube have not given 
uh, any explanation of what happened. They've just said that they made a mistake. Mm. Now, what I want to know, and this isn't for Navara, this is for anyone who's a creator on YouTube, is who made the decision? How was the decision made? What were the criteria used for it? And why, why is it that it takes a big account like ours who can drum up public support to get that overturned? Would everyone else be able to do that if they just went through the appeal process like anybody else? Yeah. So for me, there are still some very pressing questions. And that to that last question, I think we both know the answer because Unheard has also had its run-ins with YouTube. We've had videos taken down. And once again, because we have a big social media following, we cause a big fuss and suddenly, miraculously, the PR department notices it and within hours it's corrected and we had the same message. It's a mistake, an algorithm got it wrong and then it's corrected. But what we both have is the ability to cause a fuss, mm. which if you're an individual person, you don't. And that is, it feels incredibly unjust, don't you think? It does, because you shouldn't have to be a big account in order to have a relatively solid grip on YouTube. YouTube was made by individual creators and it just so happened that different organizations were able to come in and build up a big following. Mm. Now, it shouldn't matter whether you've got 100 subscribers or 100,000. You should be subject to the same rules as everybody else and same uh, ability to appeal decisions when they are made in a way which is wrong or unfair. What is, I think, additionally sort of sinister about it is that as you say, there's no visibility into the process. Uh, we've done some investigation, we've had some friendly responses from people within YouTube who've told us a little bit about the system, which is that there are various algorithms that are kind of looking for potential, potential flaggable content. And then there are human raters. Um, I asked who these people are, we, we, we're not exactly sure, I don't even know what country they're in. But these raters are then watching content and if they think it comes close to breaching community, community guidelines, they flag it and it then goes into the kind of problem pile. We don't know who these people are. It, it feels like we're being returned to some kind of old-fashioned censorship scenario where there's some invisible person with a black pencil. You don't even know what rules they're following, and they're going through striking out content. To me, it's the, the whole system is, is deeply worrying. And one of the things that we should talk about is that the system then is very vulnerable to pressure political influence and outside manipulation. Now, this isn't something which is unique to YouTube. We saw this with Facebook, which faced pressure from the Israeli government to take down posts uh, which drew comparisons between the IDF and uh, the use of napalm during the Vietnam War. And Facebook went ahead and did that. We also know, uh, you know, Israel's not the only country who's done this. China has put pressure on social media platforms and also, uh, you know, other forms of, of um platforms like Netflix, content's been removed. Same with Saudi Arabia. Um, when you have an opaque process where no one really knows who's making the decision or how it's being made, that also means that you can have you know, political actors come in and because they're wealthy countries or influential countries, applying pressure uh, in order to clamp down on criticism of those states or those governments. And that's something mm. which is really worrying. So I think we, we should state then for the record and for just in case there are any YouTube higher ups watching this, <laughs> that this is not a matter of left or right. Uh, and that, you know, we may disagree on a whole load of stuff, but I definitely want a world in which you can express your views completely freely and anyone can go and challenge you on them. I mean, you, presumably you feel the same way. 
Absolutely. And maybe where we differ is what level of regulation there should be, because I certainly don't think there should be zero regulation whatsoever. I think it's a good thing that we've got bodies like Ipso and Impress in this country, which regulate journalism. So Navarra Media, we've signed up to Impress regulations, which means that we are held to the recommendations made by the Leveson Inquiry. Now, that's something that we've chosen to do, because as a media organization, we've also seen where there have been abuses of power by media corporations, invasions of privacy, phone hacking, all that kind of stuff. And we go, actually, we want to be part of changing how the media landscape works mm. so that you don't have bad faith actors who are in the media who are able to trample on the rights of others. Now, I think that those impress regulations are meaningful. So why is it that when we are signed up to a British regulatory body, that an American tech company with much less stringent guidelines than Impress are able to wipe us out. Now, mm. that can't be right. I think the solution to this isn't to present a false binary between more corporate power or absolutely no regulation whatsoever, which means you could have, you know, say, for the sake of argument, pro-pedophile mm. content. I mean, or, and by, know, the way, by the way, we wouldn't say that either. No, I think no, you'd, no, you'd actually not... be hard pushed to find people who would be in favor of total I, freedom of speech in that way. Yeah, I, I don't think that you guys do either. But sometimes it is presented as well. Are you a free speech absolutist? Or are you in favor of corporate power? I think that there's a different way through this, which is to talk about democratic forms of accountability. Now, because of the changes to the way news works across the world, it's not simply about, you know, who owns the newspaper, who owns the broadcasting channel. Platforms like Google, platforms like Facebook have a huge role to play in the functioning of democracies and the public sphere. Now, I think it's a bad thing that, that private companies have got so much influence, but the fact is they do. And so when they do play such a key role in our democracy and when they play such a key role in making sure that journalism can reach an audience, then I think that there needs to be some kind of democratically decided regulation of those platforms yeah, which because is not, it has an impact on our democracy. Which is not the Facebook governance board or whatever it is, which is an unelected bunch of bureaucrats. It must mm. be more democratic than that. I mean, would you go as far as to say these things should be treated as public utilities and should be regulated like that? Because I would. I mean, and actually the, yeah. the weird thing is a lot of people on the left... I find are making this kind of libertarian argument back that because they might like some of the sort of censorship that's happening at the moment. And you hear from some people on the left, you hear this, oh, it's a private company. You know, Facebook's a private company, YouTube's a private company. Who are we to censor them? And I'm like, hold on, you realize that's a, that's a libertarian argument. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think that what you see there are people trying to make sense of a rapidly changing landscape. And they're kind of grasping for arguments which suit the thing that they're trying to focus on at the time. And I know that I've certainly been guilty of doing that, where I see something happening and I go, okay, what's the argument for this? And you see something happening, like, say, there is a white supremacist YouTube account or a, a network of white supremacist Twitter accounts, and they're taken down. And of course, there are freedom of speech arguments there. What are the limits of political interference of private corporations? And we don't have, like you said, a political framework of treating these as public utilities, having some kind of democratic oversight, and then people grasp for the nearest available argument. And I think that that is something which has been a weakness in my own politics, right? Mm. This is something which I've gotten wrong. I've grasped for that nearest argument because the political framework doesn't exist. 
Um, I think that that might be changing. Mm. I certainly see, particularly in the United States, uh, certain members of Congress who are willing to take this up and say, you know what, the choice isn't between more corporate power or, you know, a neo-Nazi free-for-all on the internet. Uh, We can do this in a better way. And I think that those... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Those are the arguments we really need to be uplifting. So you're right. I think we need to stop sort of going for the lazy thing, the libertarian argument, and actually having the difficult conversation. Mm. So where were you on the Trump ban? For example, where was I on the Trump ban? Well, one of the things that I was saying at the time is that this isn't something to celebrate. This is not something to just sort of go, woo, Trump, we don't like him. He's a racist. He's a fascist. He's currently, uh, you know, kind of uh, corroding democratic norms. It's a good thing that Twitter is able to just kick him off because I was like, well, you know, what if next time it's a a socialist president? What if next time it's somebody uh, of the left? And we've also seen. you know, left-wing politicians, democratically elected ones, are subject to that kind of censorship from these platforms. So I certainly wasn't an uncritical, like, 
yeah, Trump's gone. Sorry, mm. this um, cat who's wearing a shame cone is now trying to nuzzle the screen. I think he likes you. Um, <laughs> so I certainly wasn't an, an uncritical supporter of that. However, I do think that we do also need to look at the way in which politicians are able to use social media. Bolsonaro being an example of this in ways which I think are detrimental to public well-being and the functioning of a democracy. Now, mm. these are big political questions. It shouldn't be up to the corporation to decide how those political questions are resolved. It should be up to us. Ah, there he is. There he's got a starring appearance right now. It looks, <laughs> looks good. Uh, I don't know if you saw this earlier today, uh, the Guido Fawkes website, you probably have, in what they obviously thought was a bit of a gotcha moment, uh, have screen grabbed a tweet by one of the Navarra people from earlier, I think it was last year, uh, Gary McQuiggan, I think he works on your videos, uh, where he said, it's not censorship when a private company decides to remove you from its platform, you don't have an inalienable right to a Twitter account. And then today he says, whether or not you agree with what we publish, it shouldn't be the whim of giant tech companies to delete us overnight with no explanation. The point of pairing those things is to say, has he had a revelation, do you think? Has this now changed the view where if censorship happens to people you don't agree with, are you going to think about it differently? Well, look, I can't speak for Gary. He's his own man. But what I can tell you is that, one, Twitter is not a great means of getting across the entirety of your political opinions. I think that first tweet, it might have been in reference to Katie Hopkins, who, you know, ever since uh, she left The Sun, has been sort of going deeper and deeper into misinformation, outright racism. And I think that that's what he was referring to. Um, again, I think that these are decisions which need to be taken incredibly seriously. Now, what I would like to see is one, having some kind of democratic negotiation about what are the boundaries of, you know, there is no legally defined hate speech in this country, right? We don't have um, laws against hate speech as such. What we have are laws against, you know, incitement and, you know, various form of hate crime. And I think that we need to, I think, update those laws and think through them seriously and also the potential detrimental effects of having hate speech laws out in the open and democratically decide them. Mm. Because I think that, it's no good trying to approach social media the same way as we have other forms of speech uh, throughout other points in history. There is there is a potential for incitement which is different, and I think we've got to approach that and deal with it seriously. The second thing is thinking about the role of news media outlets on social media and what kind of standards you hold them to. Now, I actually think that if you're Navara or if you're Unheard or if you're Sky News or BBC or whoever, you should actually be held to higher standards than your average YouTube account. I think we should be held to higher standards, whether those are Ipso or Impress standards, and those should be the ones adopted by YouTube or Twitter or whoever it is when deciding who gets to keep their account. So again, it's not saying, well, suddenly it happens to me and that means I don't want, you know, regulation anymore. What I want is a consistent mm. level of regulation, which applies equally to different media organizations yeah. and has at its heart, I think, the protection and functioning of our democracy. Do you think it's fair to point out that the whole idea of kind of no platforming, which has been very popular on the left in particular, has kind of led to this. I mean, it's it's legitimised the idea that if there are people you don't like, the answer is not to say, explain why they're wrong. The answer is that they should not be platformed. Do, do you have any regrets about the whole sort of concept of no platforming and where it's now got us? 
Well, you know, there's a really brilliant book about this by Evan Smith called No Platform, which goes through the history of no platforming. One of the things that we tend to do is presume it was invented with social media and no, it wasn't. It actually has its origins when it comes to uh, fighting the far right and the NF in this country and the role of student unions. Now, I think that there is something really wrong with saying that freedom of speech only extends so far as long as you're not questioning who gets a platform. Right. I think that that's actually a restriction on freedom of speech. I should be able to go, well, who got that job at the BBC? You know, someone should be able to say that to me. You know, why did she get this job at Navarra? Should she be platformed by this university? That is part of uh, free speech. Political organization and saying this person shouldn't have a platform is as much a part of free speech as the person getting the platform. And that's where you have political contestation and negotiation. Now, I think you're right. There has been a censorious turn in the left. There has been a censorious turn in the left. It's no good denying it. And there has been, I think, a tendency to say, because this conversation has the potential to bring in viewpoints which we deem hateful and harmful, that this conversation shouldn't be happening at all. That is something which I disagree with. But what I'm wary of saying is that you have to have this blanket clamp down on no platform, because in my view, what that does is curtail a political freedom to organise politically. But you'd, can we at least agree that the bias, if we have one, should be in favour of platforming and disagreeing with them and showing where people are wrong? I mean, you're very well spoken, good, good at argument. You could take on anyone. I mean, there's, there's no one that you should not be able to have a robust and revealing conversation with. And at the end of it, people will make their own minds up. So is, are we at least agreed to say, if we're going to have a bias, let's make it towards allowing people to be interviewed robustly, not criticising people for their choice of guests, but you can criticise them for the manner in which they have that conversation. But again, I think we have to think critically and structurally about this, right? For instance, us at Navarra Media getting onto the BBC represented a political legitimization of the left, which hadn't been there for decades. And it's no good us pretending that that wasn't what it was, you know, and that's why you had various people, not just on the right, but on the, you know, the centre left saying, what are these jokers doing here? Get rid of them. It's because it represented a shift in politics that happened because of political contestation. Now, the same applies when you've got somebody from the right or from some previously marginal wing of politics. The thing that you've got to work out is actually what are the harms and detrimental impacts involved, right? Um, I don't think it's about ruling people out just as a sort of, well, I think that this is what you represent and that's it. I think that there are sometimes really legitimate reasons why I can go, I think that this is going to have more harmful effects, regardless of what the outcome of this debate is. Mm. Right? And, you know, I would say that if, you know, let's take, um, let's take Anjum Chowdhury, right? Good Anjum example. Chowdhury, would you, would you yeah. interview Anjum Chowdhury? No, I absolutely would not. And the reason why I wouldn't is because Anjum Chowdhury does not need to win the debate in order to have effects which I think are incredibly harmful, right, in order to be able to recruit, in order to radicalise and, you know, potentially turn people towards violence, right? He doesn't need to win the debate. Whereas me and you, one of us has to win the debate mm. in order for us to get what we want out of it, right? If you wipe the floor with me now, I can't go, well, I was here. We're having a friendly discussion. We're not having no, no, a no, debate. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, for instance, right, you, winning the debate would mean mm. something. Whereas for yeah. somebody like Anjum Chowdhury, that's actually, you know, he doesn't need to win the debate. What about so a far-right politician? What about a politician of the right 
whose views you detest, but who is being very electorally successful? I detest everybody's politics. Um, we've, we've, we've had this discussion at Navarra Media a lot. We've had this discussion about, uh, you know, various members of the Conservative Party, people who are in UKIP. And one of the things that we, you know, we decide this stuff on a case by case basis where we go, so what's the framing here? Right. You know, what's important? How are we serving the needs of our audience? And we haven't, as far as I can remember, outright no platform to anybody. Right. Our main problem is people kept saying no to us rather than us no platforming them. Um, but ultimately we go, well, this is somebody who needs to be interrogated. And if there's somebody who's doing electorally very well and you can see that they've got this kind of following, I do think it serves the needs of your audience in order to engage with them properly. Would I say the same applies to Britain first? No, I wouldn't. I would say their people, for them, the win is simply being there. It's not about the debate and I'm not really serving the needs of my audience by platforming them. But I think that this is a more complex discussion than hmm. the you no need platform to, you need to draw You need to draw a line somewhere. Uh, and it's hmm. about where that line is drawn. Well, Ash, thank you for coming on to Unheard. And I'm pleased that we have the beginnings of a grand alliance here against any future uh, strikes and censorship moves by uh, big tech giants. The thing that I would really like to say to your audience is that you're right, this is so much bigger than right versus left, unheard versus Navarro or anything else. What this is about is the ability of journalism to function unimpeded by unaccountable tech giants. And that is something, it doesn't matter where you're on the political spectrum, we all rely on journalism in order to make sense of ourselves socially, culturally, politically. It's the lifeblood of a democracy. And if YouTube or Google or whoever else it is can just shut it off, no explanation, no justification, no warning. That is something incredibly dangerous indeed. Here, here. I completely agree. Solidarity with you, Ash, and YouTube. <laughs> I you. hope you're listening. Thanks for coming on. That was Ash Sarkar. We may disagree about some things, but on this, we are united. So thanks to her for sharing her thoughts, and thanks to you for tuning in. This is Unheard. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.